Welcome to the Andy Staples Show and Friends podcast feed, the flagship college football podcast at The Athletic. Thank you for joining us. I am Sam Khan, senior college football writer, also known as the expert, joined as always by Max Olson, national college football writer at The Athletic and the man populating your Twitter feed all week with transfer portal news. How are you doing today? All week, Max. next week, the week after that, <laughs> the week after that. Um, I'm good, bud. I'm, let's see, why don't we hit refresh here? <laughs> oh, no one knew. Well, we'll keep we'll keep you posted. I was just saying, are we gonna have to stop in the middle of this uh every few minutes so you, you know, can uh... <laughs> I was thinking about it. So I, I did a radio hit yesterday um with Connor Happer in Omaha, who has a great show, and we were joking about I, I, I told him at the end of it, like, man, I wonder how many people just went in the portal while I was talking to you for 10 minutes. So like <laughs> maybe maybe John, our producer here, can just drop in like a um another one drop every time a, a guy goes in the portal up oh, there's some dj one. Khaled. <laughs> there's some dj Khaled. another one uh, uh you've got a got a kid from central michigan that just went in it never ends wow. sam never it ends. never ends that's you gotta love it i'm, uh, I'm enjoying well, it so far it hasn't it hasn't destroyed me december might destroy me but it's only december one so we've we've uh <laughs> we've only just begun buddy how are you i'm good the the things are good down in texas uh Obviously, a lot of portal activity so far, or at least guys announcing their intention to go into the portal. Uh, not as much coaching moves down here. Only one FBS job opening down here in the state so far at Texas State. But, of course, uh, Texas A&M made a, a staff change, uh, firing their OC, Daryl Dickey, on Monday. So uh, that not was, entirely that was surprising. Unexpected. Yes, they did. <laughs> not entirely unexpected. Hi- Ooh, firing the OC. Tanmisi. Tanmisi. Adele announced he's going to the portal, Sam. Interesting. It okay. It begins okay. for a There we go. So that, there you go. Breaking news. How do, how do me, I pronounce it? I think I bought you. To me say Adele. Adele. Yeah. So going that's actually that's actually an interesting one. So I'm going to keep doing that. I'm just going to keep interrupting us throughout this to say, oh, he's in the portal. I, I love it. I love All it. Right. That that works. Tweet that out while I'm. I, I want people I'll, to have the authentic experience of, of hanging out with me right now. Like my wife's trying to call <laughs> me right now and I'm. I'm not going to take that because we're voice doing this, but also also because of the portal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I can I'll filibuster here while you tweet that out so the masses can know. Um, <laughs> but we got a lot to, lot to get to today. Twelve uh, team college football playoff is officially officially happening and starting in 2024. That came down this morning uh, as we record here on Thursday. Uh, as we we talked about the portal, that's been popping all week. Uh, the portal windows officially for FBS underclassmen opens on monday december 5th we'll talk about that of course some coaching news matt rule hired at nebraska uh neil brown at retained at west virginia lots of other moves uh to talk about but but certainly we'll hit on those two and of course by the way there's still football going on conference championship weekend big 12 championship game between kansas state and tcu going down as well as lots of others and we'll of course pick our low-key game of the week but uh, let's start with let's start with the playoff. We know obviously this has been coming. This has been discussed that they were aiming to, that they would prove the twelve team format. They were trying to get it to a place where they could do it in time for twenty twenty four. Kind of a lot of that hinged on the Rose Bowl and whether or not it was going to be agreeable to amend its contract to allow it to happen before twenty twenty six. So now it's officially done. The playoff announced it. Uh, I'm excited for it personally. As you know, I'm I'm a big mm-hmm. proponent of expansion. I'm glad it's happening sooner because uh, I think it'll be better to see some more teams get in this thing. 
and create some interest down the stretch, but just kind of curious what your top line thoughts are on this officially happening. And now we know for sure starting the 2024 season, we'll have a 12 team playoffs. Um, you know, thoughts and prayers for Ari. I know that this is going to ruin the sport. <laughs> it's time for us to reckon with how this is going to ruin sport. Um, it's funny. The people who are like, the stakes are so important. Um, and that's, that's what makes these big games. Great. Um, a couple of days later are like, well, Ohio state should be in the playoffs still. So anyway, um, <laughs> it's just, I, I'm excited for the format. Um, I think it's not perfect. Um, there's not going to be a, a format that everybody loves, and it's not going to be perfect every year. I mean, I think there's just going to be some years when we feel like, as we do with the four team, right? There's going to be some years where we feel like, man, there's six really good teams this year. And the rest are sort of, well, they're in this and they're probably not going to win a game and all that. Uh, there's going to be some years like that. There's going to be some years where it's legitimately um, really competitive games. Uh, on on I think the, the, the home sites is going to be amazing and just like the, an element that is going to be so um, unique and cool for this sport. I do think more teams being, you know, in the mix in November, um, you know, I, I think it's going to make the end of the season a lot more, a lot more fun. I, I, I do. I, I don't, I don't think it takes away too much from the big games. I know it does a little bit, but um, you know, I think that uh, I'm, I'm happy we've, we've got here. I'm happy. We're not putting this off till 2026. Um, and I think that uh, I think I've, I've just kind of been in that mindset every week now with with these playoff rankings of looking at it and kind of quickly jotting down who you know who who would be the twelve and it's just interesting to see how that fluctuates and who's who who moves up who moves down and I think it would make you know like for example this this weekend we're talking about um, you know the Big Ten and the SEC title games as as being inconsequential that that you know Georgia and Michigan are in the playoff no matter what. Um, I, I think that if, if those conferences have their two best teams, um, in their conference title game and the winner of that game gets a top four seed and a bye, and the loser of that game, we'll see if they're home or not at home for the first round. Like, I think that matters a lot more. I think that's going to be really exciting to see how that stuff plays out the first year of it. Uh, I'm sure some people will groan, you know, from time to time about it, but that, that would be my pitch. I'm, I'm optimistic. I think, I think it's going to, uh, I know it's a big change and maybe going to eight would make people a little bit more comfortable just in terms of not making this big of a leap. Um, but you know, I think it's a, I think it's a net positive. What do you think? I agree. I do think it's net positive and, and I won't, I'll concede to our, and we had this argument a few weeks back uh, and we wrote columns about it, actually dueling columns about it. Mm-hmm. And I agree that yes, to some degree, the drama that is attached to, top five matchups late in the season that we, you know, we saw like Tennessee and Georgia a few weeks back, you lose some of that or, or, or what we saw with Alabama and LSU, you lose a little bit of that. I don't think it makes the game meaningless because as we saw, I think Ari's point was that LSU and Alabama would still be both in the playoff in that scenario. Well, that's not necessarily the case right now because guess what? LSU lost to A&M. And so, If you're LSU, you'd, you'd probably be having to play for a spot in this weekend uh, as opposed to Dude, right that, now. That you're LSU efficient. A&M game matters way more Yep, than it, than it did a week ago. Yeah, and so that that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is, is look at this weekend. Let's look at the game we'll be at, the Big 12 Championship, TCU and K-State. I think we agree that TCU's probably in regardless or, or so long as they don't get blown out. But Kansas State is not in at this point and won't get in. However, at sitting number 10 right now in the rankings, if 
we were in a 12 team world, they're probably playing for a spot right now Mm -hmm. because, Mm -hmm. because if they lose, they probably could potentially drop out of that spot. But if they win, then they would definitely get one of those at large spots. And that to me adds some additional intrigue to this weekend that we're looking at. A hundred percent. I think that, um, I think that it, like, I understand there will still be this, this mentality that's, that still exists of, Oh, well, that's cool, but Georgia's still going to win the national championship this year or whatever, right? Like, I, I understand that there's going to be that, like, how much does it really matter? Because we still know the most talented team, the most loaded team is going to go win it and and all that. I, I get that. But, like, I think in a, in a 12-team format, like, people would be taking K-State way more seriously in November than they did over this past month. I mean, I think it, right now there's just kind of the curiosity of, oh, who's going to end up in the Big 12 title game? Will it be K-State or Texas or whatever? I think when you have a team rising up and like we would have to spend more time legitimately debating, like, should this three loss K-State team be in the top 10 and should they make the, you know, where do they rank among, you know, where should they be kind of slotted among these teams in that, that 10 to 15 range. And I, I'm not saying that the, the fight for the 11th spot is, you know, um, going to be as exciting as the fight for the fourth spot. I, I don't think that's the case, but it, that's, I think one example where, these teams that rise up and, and, you know, have a chance to go win a conference championship game. Um, I think it's going to be, I, you know, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. Now you could look at that and say, well, I don't really like a format where a 10 and three K state has a top four seed in a 12 team playoff. If they win the big 12 title game, like I, I can understand there's going to be some years when you're surprised by who the top four seeds are just if there's a conference championship game upset. But I, I, I do think that's going to be for those teams it matters a lot more than just sitting here today and saying, well, you know, K-State's going to be in the Sugar Bowl no matter what. They'll be fine. Yeah, and and I, I need to correct that. Obviously, if they won, they're not getting that large spot. They win, they're getting a conference championship spot because they're getting one of the six top conference championship spots that'll be guaranteed. But I think that's that's a key thing is it, it, it returns some importance to the conference championship games that I think is lacking in, to some degree right now. And then uh, that doesn't even get into the group of five part which I think is huge to to get that inclusion in uh, to see so that we don't have years like 2017 when UCF runs the table and doesn't get a shot or 2020 when Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina ran the table and, and doesn't get a shot. And I get people get upset about, okay, well, three loss teams shouldn't be playing for national championship. And I guess I kind of understand that. But to me, that is a small price to play to pay to make sure that a 12 and 0 team doesn't get left out. Also, well, and like I know this year it's not as compelling because I, I mean, I, I've enjoyed watching this Tulane season, but I can understand people being like, why would they, you know, oh, they're the 12 seed in this playoff this year, big deal or whatever. But as you know, Sam, in the recent history, we've had a lot of G5 teams that are top 10 caliber. And guess what? They beat K State, the team we're just talking about that's playing they for did. a conference championship. That they did. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, and they beat Cincinnati, who made the playoff last year. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think in, in a lot of years, it's going to be going to be kind of exciting to have that G5 team. I'm not saying Tulane absolutely couldn't win a game. I mean, I think certainly the 5 versus 12 is going to be pretty tough every year. Um and and I'm but I'm also not saying a G5 team is always going to be in that 12 spot. Right, right. It's uh it may not. Yeah, there there have been times like I said Cincinnati wouldn't have been last year. They would have been way higher than that. For sure. And and uh shoot they would, would have been, been a top 4 top seed last year. They would have been a top sure. 4 seed hosting a game sure. to start. Yeah, to start. absolutely. Yeah. Uh I think about I think about the two like I said 2017 UCF. I think about 2015 Houston that went 13 and 1 and beat uh Florida State in the Peach Bowl. Uh would where that where mm-hmm. would that team have been? Uh you know, there, there's a lot there's a lot of interesting scenarios and I think that'll that'll be interesting. Also it does open the the 
possibility, which we saw in 2020, I think would be very rare, but the possibility that you could get two G5 conference championships in if the Power Five uh, conference champions are not ranked very high. I don't think that's going to happen very often. I think the way we know the committee ranks and stuff probably won't. But yeah, and, it, in, in the past, really though, there would be some years where like a G5 and a BYU could get in or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's been some instances where where that potentially matches up. And I think, um, you know, just the the number of the number of teams that, that matter in November, I, I I just keep coming back to that as being a plus to this. And, yep. you know, we'll see. I'm sure that there will be some minuses to it that, um, you know, I, I, I'm Ari and others have have good points and I'm, I'm sure more of this will arise over time. But um, I think I, I, I think it's positive. I, I, and I can understand if you're a fan of certain fan bases, you're not excited about it. But I think I don't know. I think generally speaking, um, people are going to going to be able to wrap their arms around it. Yeah, hope so. Well, I'm excited it's happening. Uh, 2024 will be the first season, which means next year, 2023 will be the last year of the 14 playoff, and that national championship game is in my home city of Houston. So that'll be fun. Let's go. Be, we'll we'll send it off uh, in the right way down here in, in the Bayou City. Uh, let's move on to the transfer portal. As we mentioned at the top, very, very active week. A lot of guys announcing their intentions. And, and for the listeners to kind of suss out a little bit of confusion. There is a little bit of a different calendar. So this year, it's not like it was in previous years where everybody can go to the transfer portal at the you know whenever they want. There's a there's two windows: one in December after the season ends, and then there's one in the spring in May, uh, basically after spring football. And it's 45 days starting December 5th, mm-hmm. from December 5th until mid January, and then the other one is from May 1st through May 15th. And so if you are going in the portal, if you are an FBS underclassman that has not graduated. That is when you're going in. There have been some other guys who have gone in before, but those are FCS because their season ended sooner. And there's graduate transfers who I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Max, graduate transfer can go in at any time. So yep. graduates can go anytime. And if your coach got fired in the last 30 days, you, you, you also have a pass to go in the portal. So there you go. So, so lots of exceptions. So that's where it becomes confusing where you have guys announcing, Hey, I'm planning to go in the transfer portal versus guys who are already in the portal. So it makes for a little bit of a confusing and hairy situation yep. for all the player personnel directors out there in the country as uh, teams try to stock up their rosters. But let's look at some of the interesting guy- names that we've already seen surface, either guys that are already in or guys that have announced that they're going to go in. Uh, let- let's talk about some of these guys. I'll, I'll start with me, Hudson Card at Texas. Uh, he's looking to go in when it comes on December 1st. Of course, the backup quarterback at Texas was the starter last year for a couple games before he got benched. Uh, but I'm interested to see where he ends up. Uh, Max, just uh, what's your early thought on just kind of wh- what the market will be like for Hudson Card? Do you think this is kind of Shane Bouchel all over again? Possibly. You this, yeah, you're so saying I, I, don't, I don't mean SMU going to necessarily. SMU? <laughs> I don't. I don't mean SMU necessarily, but a, a guy that um, you know just just was at the at, at you know I, I thought Hudson Card was the QB of the future at Texas. Um, certainly, they had other plans when it came to bringing in Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning. And I think he has a chance to go to go to a situation power five or G five where I think he can, he can go out and show that he's, he's still a pretty good quarterback. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, does that look like more of a G five school in the state of Texas? Do you think, or do you think there's some pretty good power five options that, that come along some of these schools that, that are more in need, or maybe, I don't know, I, Tom Herman's name comes up for some of these jobs. Could he be, you know, could that potentially be a reunion if he ends up at one of these, uh, you know, potentially one of these these G five jobs that he's been uh, linked to. I, I I think it's an interesting 
situation for Hudson Card, who's who's probably known for months now that he'd be making this move, and I'm sure he's done his homework. Yeah, I, I would be curious to see. I think he's definitely got power five potential to to land somewhere. Like I I would look at someplace like Oklahoma State, who's losing Spencer Sanders. Doesn't seem to have a very clear picture, I don't think, yeah. uh, at quarterback beyond that. I mean, they've got some guys, obviously, on the roster uh, behind him that have played this year, but but I don't know that there's one that you say, hey, bang up, that's the guy. Uh, that that would make some sense. If you're looking at the G5 level, I, I look at a place like UTSA because his offensive coordinator at Austin Lake Travis, yeah, Will Stein, right. is the offensive coordinator at UTSA. Uh, some of that depends on whether Frank Harris comes back. but And you brought, brought up a group, good point with – Tom Herman, but I think Card is, I think throughout his like, do you struggles, think Houston's in the market on this one? That would be interesting. I, I think Houston is more for a guy we're going to get to in a second. Kyron Drones, okay, at Baylor. I, I think, I think Card could be a make sense there because, and again, that is technically a power five now because they'll be in the Big Twelve next year. So Houston could be a destination, but could they be interested in Kyron Drones? Uh, as well, who's somebody they recruited really heavily out of high school, uh, who just right. who also announced the Baylor backup quarterback, who I think is supremely talented, mm-hmm. who announced he he would get in uh, the portal soon. So uh, th- those are interesting options. But I think Card wherever he goes, I think I think he showed us a lot this year. I was really impressed the way he played after Quinn Ewers went down. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he still has potential to make uh, a happy ending out of his career to to really finish it the way that he hoped uh, as opposed to what it has gone, which was uh, obviously very bumpy uh, in his first two years well, in Texas. You make a good point. Like, so for a Hudson card, like, is it, is it better to go to like a UTSA and just put up big numbers and feel like that you can still have a decent chance of the league that way? Or do you want to go into one of these situations where maybe you're competing for the job at a power five level? Um, maybe it's not as much of a sure thing, but maybe there's more upside. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think that's a calculation a lot of these guys have to do because you're looking at eligibility clock at this point and how many years do you have and how much time do you have to make and uh, system of it. I mean, I think if you're Hudson card, it's gotta be all about that too. Yeah. A hundred percent. What, what are some of the guys you're watching uh, in the portal? Yeah. I, I think the first one for me is, um, you know, the entire Texas A&M football roster. Um, I'm, I'm being <laughs> facetious when I say that obviously, but we're about to hit a very important time here. Um, it certainly, um, the, the OC search at AM is is super important um, and, and holding the staff together or making, cha- you know, whatever the changes they make. Um, I'm very curious to see kind of what comes next for AM. But we all know that the, the most important thing for Jimbo Fisher is not the 2023 recruiting class. It's the 2022 recruiting class at AM yep. and yep. and getting this group to stay on campus. And, um, you know, I think that's a group that, now, certainly they've had some players that they've had to suspend from that class. And you, you're curious kind of what their future looks like at AM. But, you know, by, you know, the Evan Stewart's of the world, the Dean Lineman, all these studs they brought in. Um, how many of those guys put their name out there just to see what's out there um, or to renegotiate? Maybe how, how many guys, you know, could could, you know, could potentially come back and how many guys are just one out of that situation. You know, I think that's going to be so interesting to see. We haven't seen very much of it so far this week. There's only been, you know, a few grad transfers that have moved on. Tunmisi was kind of that first, first one. I would say that, uh, I mean, you knew LJ Johnson was probably going to move on. Um, but I, I think it's, it's so interesting to just see, you know, what can, what can they do to hold this thing together? Because 
and, and I don't mean that in in like a uh, concern trolling way. I mean, in legitimately, like it's going to affect what AM's upside is in in twenty three, and and just sort of can they take a big next step here, or do they have to kind of go back to the portal and go back to recruiting to try to uh, fill a bunch of needs this year? Yeah, that, that's the thing because the and, and the reason why it's so critical, and, and it, you make a good point because I had that conversation with somebody over there not too long ago is that. You're right. The 2022 recruiting class is way more important than 2023 recruiting class at this point because AM has already accomplished the hard part, which is yep. stockpiling elite talent. Yep. And when you saw what they did against LSU, who was a top five team, maybe maybe fools go a little bit in top five team, but still they were ranked top 10 for a reason and top mm-hmm. five for a reason. When you saw how they played with all those young guys out there, it's like you you think you you look at that and you think to yourself, wow, this could potentially be a really good team. If they were to play like that, if they can hold it together, yeah, that's huge, right? I mean, if wouldn't all these people kind of just be walking out the door with with their heads down if they had lost that game and you're finishing what four and eight? Hmm. Yeah. So so I wonder how much that impacts it. Yep. And yeah, so far I don't think there's anybody that's jumped in right yet. Like I said, that is like an oh my gosh, wow, yep. that's going to really hurt them. Like to me, say it was a really talented player, didn't play a ton this year. Uh, so I'll be, I mean, they, they, they do have like a lot if Haynes of young... King went in, you wouldn't be that surprised, right? No, no, not at all. So, so that, that, that'd be interesting to see like LJ Johnson was a top 50 guy, but he, he's also a guy that didn't get the ball a lot to begin with when he was right. there. They just haven't used their running backs a ton. So, uh, so that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting guy to look at, but yeah, to me say played three games this year and, uh, started too. So, I mean, it's. So far, they haven't really lost. And I think the only guy of the 2022 recruiting class they've lost, Ish Harris, didn't play at all this year. So so a lot of the guys that have gone in are guys that haven't. I mean, Chase Lane, I think, is the one that's probably played the most. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Chase is a guy who's been kind of a veteran rotational guy. He had, they, they haven't really had any bona fide starters go in yet. So that's going to be monitored. That's going to be interesting to watch. And that, that to me, is what <laughs> makes the next few weeks fascinating is that yeah. – uh, is the next few weeks are going to tell us what the 2023 and beyond Texas A&M team will look like, depending on how much the team they hold together. I'm, I'm laughing here because I'm looking at a tweet deck and I'm seeing this. This is probably, maybe we'll be seeing this from A&M players. This, maybe this is just a sign of the times here. Uh, Quinshawn Judkins, the the freshman All-America running back for Ole Miss, he tweeted out a graphic that says, here to stay. I am thrilled to continue my relationship with the Grove Collective and continue my football <laughs> career here at Ole Miss. <laughs> is that the oh. second that's the second tweet we've seen this week. i love combining the i will not transfer NIL. announcement which nobody thought he would transfer but i love right. combining the no i will not transfer announcement with the i'm re-upping with our collective announcement that's amazing that's that is terrific i love that's i love where it's the all new going, college man. football at the highest level uh, that is where all this that's well, where all this luther, going. Bur- luther burden at at uh mizzou the receiver at yeah. mizzou who was oh, a yeah, really yeah. big time get for them Announced that he was staying at Mizzou and tied in his potato chip sponsorship in the tweet, which I absolutely loved. And it has a graphic of his potato chip on his shoulder because he's got a literal chip on his shoulder. Yes. So yes. uh so I, I do love that is a I, new uh element phenomenon. Yes. of this yeah. new phenomenon of this transfer portal era that I am certainly entertained by is that not only are we announcing we're staying, but we're announcing they're staying we're staying with our NIL deals. So I, I think that's uh, wonderful. So you mentioned Texas A&M, obviously. Uh, I mentioned Kyron Jones and Hudson Card. Another guys, two other guys I'm looking at, Damian George from Alabama, uh, 
offensive tackle there, North Shore High School down in Houston. It's a big-time program. I'll be curious to see if he bounces back. Does he end up coming back to the home state? But a uh, big offensive tackle, talented guy. And then Andrew Armstrong, a guy who you followed. I would love to get some of your perspective mm-hmm. on him. But uh, Texas A&M Commerce is an FCS transfer. Uh, Texas A&M Commerce, former Division II program, just moved up. This year had their first season in the FCS. But uh, Armstrong had a huge year, I think over 60 catches, 1,000 yards. Uh, and he's got a lot of power five offers and looks like he's already got some visits set up. So kind of interested to see uh, where he goes. That that staff changed over. David Bailiff, the coach there, no longer there. So he's moving on looking for a better opportunity. Uh, but but that's I, I am always fascinated this time of year by the FCS to mm-hmm. FBS transfers that we see. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting um dilemma when I talk to these recruiting staffers about how they look at the landscape here, like an Andrew Armstrong goes in the portal and I, and I know from doing the the research last year, like wide receiver is one of those positions where there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of guys that go in. Um, And so you sort of like, you have to make an interesting decision because they don't all go in at the same time, right? Like in the NFL free agency, you all, you know, here's the date when free agency starts and here's all the guys whose contracts were up. And with this deal, it's like, you have to make these evaluations. And so like Andrew Armstrong is going to go visit Arkansas and Missouri. He's got a, a bunch of nice offers at this point. But if you're like at Arkansas, it's like, okay, do we take this guy now? Or do we sit back and see who's going to be available in a few weeks? Do we set up a visit with this guy? And then we kind of ghost him in a couple of weeks when suddenly there's five <laughs> other receivers we want. I mean, it's such a, I mean, really, it's just such an interesting decision you have to make because you just, you know, the windows have, have, have narrowed the period of time in which guys would become available theoretically. I mean, still guys go in at different times, but um, it's trying to narrow that and give more clarity about who's staying and who's going. But at the same time, like right now when the FCS guys, the FCS guys go in, um, you know, first, then they pick up offers and stuff. And and if I were a parent of one of those guys, I'd say, let's go visit now and let's go commit mm-hmm. now because you want to lock up that spot before spot. they go. You got to go lock it up before, you know, there's going to be 10, you know, 10 different receivers that go in the portal on Monday that Arkansas is like, Oh, we want that guy. So mm-hmm. you gotta, you gotta move fast. And it's an interesting assessment to make um, that probably is going to lead to a lot of uh, what ifs down the road um, for me next on the list. I, I got a couple quarterbacks, Jeff Sims at Georgia tech, Cade McNamara uh, at Michigan. Um, you know, Sims is a guy that probably is, I think he's probably one of those players. Like maybe the example would be like a Jaden Daniels this year, where if you've watched a little bit of him, he, he hasn't been playing for a winning program and you maybe you feel like you kind of know what he is, but I'm excited for him in a cha- uh, change of scenery situation. I think he could probably take his career to another level. Played really, really well as a true freshman um, back when he and Jameer Gibbs came in there as, as kind of the centerpiece recruits for Jeff Collins. Um, he's a guy that has 23 career starts, had to shut it down this year after seven games, but a player that I, I wondered if he would go in the portal last year when Gibbs went to Alabama and he stayed. And uh, I, now that he's going to hit the portal, he hasn't officially gone in yet, but he's going to. And I think that's for, for one of these schools that's in need of a starting QB. Um, if he goes to the right, right offense, I think he could really take off next year. Cade McNamara is a guy that, um, you know, there's just not that many examples you can point to in history of a quarterback that has, I think really just Kelly Bryant come to, comes to mind, I think, of a kid that has, has led his team uh, into the college football playoff um, and has ended up transferring. I think that's all I can think of. I mean, you know, that's, it's pretty rare that those, they come along. And so Cade McNamara, a lot of buzz with Iowa early on. And uh, certainly that would be um, 
I think it'd be an improvement on the Iowa quarterback situation. Um, I think that would be a pretty good good move for Iowa. Certainly, you wonder who he's playing for. What is the OC situation going to be mm-hmm. there going forward? But um, that would be a huge get for Iowa. But you know, I, I there's lots of when I tweeted out he was he was uh, transferring. I I heard from a lot of Notre Dame fans and lots of other fan bases that are like we gotta go get this guy. And uh, yeah. you know, he's he's got the relationship to Biff Pogi, the new head coach at, at uh, Charlotte. So I could see that being a, a destination, but. Man, a lot of power five schools probably calling him uh, at this point. And, uh, you know, when he gets healthy, I think he has a chance to uh, to really get things rolling again. Um, yeah. And then uh, the last Jalen Hurts, real quick, but Jalen Hurts, I think I was, you're thinking of guys who went, took their team to the playoff. Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts. Yes. The last one I can think of. Yes. I thought you were about to tell me Jalen Hurts went in the portal. That would be. <laughs> no, he's um, doing well, man. He's uh, he's killing it over at he, Philly. He is killing it. Um, I, yeah, Jalen Hurts, good, good pull, good call. I was going to, for some reason, I thought. Uh, you know, I suppose like Justin Fields was a was a backup at Georgia, but I don't think yeah he were, he yeah. wasn't starting. He was behind no, Jake Fromm. No, but there's not there's just at that level we don't really see we don't really see that many guys become available. And and obviously yep. JJ outplayed him this year, but I think Gabe McNamara can can definitely be an upgrade for uh, his next team. And then you know there's a lot of like the 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 P five guys going in on Monday and and next week um, is going to be crazy and. I think some of it, like I said, may just be guys going in to explore it, but may still go back to their school. But right now, there's already a lot of really good G5 players that that have hit the portal. And I, to me, it's like that's kind of where like you see, like like this year's saying you think about like TCU taking Josh Newton from um, Louisiana Monroe, and he he came in and immediately became one of the best corners Killed in the Big it. Twelve. Killed, Killed it. it. Um, there's there's a lot of really good players at the at the FCS. There you go. There's the disrespect. There's a lot of really good players at the G5 level <laughs> who, if they go in the portal and and someone pulls up the tape, yeah, maybe they're missing like one little thing. Maybe they're not as fast or as big or whatever as the guy you would take as a recruit, but they can come in and help you and and bring leadership and bring experience. So there's a lot of you know Hank Hank Bachmeyer left Boise State during the season. Uh, he's still out there. Sean Tyler, really good running back at Western Michigan. Jimmy Horn Jr., a really explosive uh, wideout from South Florida. South Florida lost a few guys because of their coaching change. Uh, Justin Wright, the linebacker at Tulsa. Uh, again, some some players becoming available because of coaching changes, and that's kind of the thing you fear now a little bit um, at these G5 schools. I'm sure you've seen it this week, Sam. Like the number of guys that have left Texas state this week because of the change there, it's, it's gotta be crazy for these coaches to watch it happen. Levi Bell's a great one to mention. Uh, he had a great year at, at a little bit undersized, but a, a D lineman that um, I could see him going to the big 12 for sure. Um, you know, JQ Hardaway from, from Cincinnati. We'll see how many Cincinnati guys hit the portal with fickle leaving uh, Thomas Gore is another one to mention from, from Georgia state. There's just a lot of, Guys, that it's not going to be as sexy when they announce their commitment to your school, but they have a chance to be really impactful and and really underrated pickups. Yeah, uh, you mentioned when we were joking about how many guys on a roster. You mentioned the A and M roster, but yeah, I feel like a bunch of the Texas State rosters hit the portal. Yeah, uh, ever since Jake Spavital got fired uh, earlier in the week, uh, it's got to be a weird feeling. I was thinking about that. If you're like Jake, Jake and Zach Spavital, like the number of coaches who are calling you during the week, being like. Hey man, I'm <laughs> sorry you got fired. That that really sucks. Can you please send me this guy's number? And what do you think of this guy? You know, like that's that's how it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it goes. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's crazy. Uh, but to like but build yeah. a defense and then like all of your starters just hit the portal the minute you're gone. That's that's yeah. kind of the sign of the times, unfortunately. And and honestly, it kind of gives. I, I feel like it kind of gives some credence a little bit to the. I I don't think it's, it's as much of an empty threat anymore with coaches. If you if you say. 
hey, if you fire me, all these players are leaving. Like, we're kind of starting mm-hmm. to see that now a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Like, Lane Hatcher, the starting quarterback, left. Kyle Hergel, who's a great offensive lineman for them, is, yep. is in the portal. So there, there's a lot of dudes. I think they've got up 14, I think, now at the portal for Texas. The running back, they're a bunch of defensive starters. Yeah, yeah. it's it's Yeah, Jaron Morris. Crazy. There's a lot of guys uh, on that list. But interesting times. Like I said, a lot of guys are in the portal, but but a crush on are going to hit on Monday, December 5th. So uh keep uh max max's twitter <laughs> on alert put, put the push alerts on for that and uh obviously we have a live blog on theathletic.com we have a transfer live blog that we're populating that stuff in yeah. all the time so that'll be you know I, I try to make it a more like curated experience on on twitter of the of the guys hitting the portal that I tweet out but i i can't promise you that uh I won't tweet, you know, 200 times on Monday. It's, it's <laughs> refreshing the, I, I was going to say we, we're going to the big 12 championship. I fully expect you while we're having dinner on Friday night before the big 12 championship, you're going to be refreshing the phone a bunch of times. Well, that would, that would continue the tradition. Cause as you remember yes. last year, you and I were having dinner and then Quinn Ewers was transferring and we're like, what yep. the hell? <laughs> I remember that. Yep. That was uh that was fun. Before we move on, I've got a couple more things. Uh, before we have our special guest, Colin Klein, a Kansas State offense coordinator, uh, coaching news. Let's let's touch real quick on this. Uh, you were at were you at Matt Rule's introduction at Nebraska? I was. Yep. So you were there, and then uh, Neil Brown, uh, the West Virginia head coach, some stuff up in the air about his status. But they hired a new athletic director north at North North Texas. Ren Baker is the new AD mm-hmm. there, replacing Shane Lyons, who was let go uh, a little bit a little bit ago. So Neil Brown, they announced he will be back in twenty twenty three. Uh, what are your thoughts just real quick on that? On, on yeah, Brown being I back think, one more year, I think when we did predictions like a month or two ago, I mentioned I thought he'd be back. Um, and and you know, I, I think it's just the nature of, of how expensive it is to make a change. Um, you know, I think it's, I believe it's pretty much on the dot 17 million if they did it right now. Um, the contract is is fully guaranteed if they make a move on Neil Brown before the start of 2025. So, um, it's very expensive to make a change there, and and I don't. I'm not going to sit here and say like, that's the only reason that I, I do believe that, um, you know, they, you can make the case that, that they, if they can fix this defense, this offseason, they should be better next year. And, and, and I think it makes sense for Ren Baker to get the lay of the land and focus on a lot of the things that he's got to fix at West Virginia over the next year. Um, while thinking ahead to a search, if that's how it's going to go. But, um, I think making a change right now when there's not really a surefire candidate to, to step in there, um, it's just a very, it's a very expensive endeavor. And certainly that's, it's, it's maybe kind of reflective of the difficulty of, you know, trying to do things at, at, at a, at a high power five level. Sometimes, you know, I, I think at the time Shane Lyons after 2020 wanted to lock up Neil Brown, so he wouldn't leave for another job. And um, you know, you, you, you raise the salary and, and you, you know, <laughs> it becomes, you, you, you lock in this, you know, hundred percent buyout. Um, cause you believe in the trajectory of where, where it's going. And then it becomes very expensive to make a move And West Virginia just doesn't necessarily have that, that kind of money. Right. I mean, we, we, I know that that number keeps going up in terms of you hear about certain schools, um, you know, paying, paying huge, you know, 15, 16, whatever plus to million, make, yeah. right. To make people go away. Um, but not every, every not, every not everybody can do, can do that. No, not everybody I think that's, that's a big two world. I think that's, that's mostly an sec big 10 world that you're going to be able to do. That. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's, that's, um, that's a haves and have nots kind of situation. But at the same time, the coaching market also dictates that, um, you know, if you have a, have a good year, then your coach is going to say, I should be making 4 million or 5 million or whatever. And <laughs> that's, that's, it's an interesting 
uh, dilemma there because they didn't want him to leave at the time. So I, I know that that's obviously a big reason why Shane Lyons is no longer at West Virginia and is is now um, on on Greg Burns' staff at Alabama. But um, you know, interesting situation for Ren Baker to walk into. But I think it makes sense to to stick with Neil Brown and give him another year and, and to try and fix this thing and especially the defense. And uh, and then yeah, Matt Rule taking over Nebraska. What do you think of that? Yeah, I. Not terribly shocked. You know, we had Mitch Sherman on our podcast last time around a couple weeks ago to kind of break down the search, and that that was a name that seemed to stand out the most and kept coming up the most. And I think we talked about it in depth then, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Like I said, from his history of building, the what he did at Temple, what he did at Baylor, and his style of recruiting, I think is just going to really be a good match for what Nebraska needs, especially if they're willing to be patient with them, which I believe based on that contract, the eight year 72 million, I think they are going to be, they're going to have to be patient or to, to borrow Ari's term force patience. Um, that's right. Because you're, you are you, priced into patience here for sure. That's right. As, as you know, Max, the, the Matt rules deal is that's going to be the first year is going to be ugly. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be, yep. you know, coming down to the studs. And so it, it may be rough in the early going, but eventually I think it, it turns out because of the way they develop and the way he, he is in staff develop and the way they recruit. And so they recruit a lot of developmental guys. They recruit up a lot of guys that are raw athletes that they're going to have to coach up. And you're going to have to wait a couple of years before some of these yeah. guys really make impact. It's not going to be a bunch of five stars coming in and contributing right away and that you're plugging and playing. So I uh, thought and, it was really... So- Knowing that, right, knowing that that is going to be the blueprint and it's going to take time and take patience and stuff, they gave him a deal where if they try to pull the plug after four years, they're going to have to pay him $32 million. Whew. That's a lot. So yeah. Matt Rule, he could he might leave for something else before then. Who, who knows, right? But, uh, yeah, you're going to have to find a way to fire his ass for cause at that <laughs> point in time because <laughs> you are not cutting a check for $32 million when you weren't willing to pay, you know, 20 or whatever it was last year to move on from Frost. So, like, yeah, it's it's kind of – it's baked into the deal here. Matt Rule is going to get, you know, you can have a five-year plan because Nebraska cannot afford to get rid of you within those five years. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you were at the introduction. You guys had a, you and Mitch Sherman had a really good story on the athletic uh, breaking down the 76 day search and kind of behind the scenes on how that all came together. But what were your impressions just of the, A, the search and B, uh, his, his introduction, introduction in Nebraska? Yeah, it, you know, it it was. I was impressed by the way Trev Alberts went about it. Obviously, he he felt like as a as a new AD at Nebraska, or relatively new, for, first time doing a big search like this. Uh, you know, you got to go underground and you got to kind of keep it to yourself. And he he ran a very private search with very few leaks, um, which is hard to do these days. Obviously, there was speculation among fans for two plus months about who it's going to be, and I think people talk through fifty different names of who do we like this guy, do we not like this guy, and eventually you talk yourself out of everybody, but. I think uh, I, you know, Im- impressed by Matt Rule's, um, you know, introductory press conference as, as I knew I would be. I mean, I, I was at his first one at Baylor, um, and I think he he certainly is a is a hell of a public speaker and and knows how to um, connect with his audience and stuff. And so, I think it, it I it's going to take time. I don't think they're a bold team next year. Um, I think that you can flip it a little bit faster now than he did at Baylor with the way that the the roster set up, and you could probably go bring in 40, 45 new players this off season um, and, and get this thing looking pretty different and then go play a lot of young players and and build it over time. But I think he's the right guy for where Nebraska's at right now. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and say this will absolutely work and they're going to go win the big 10 or anything like that. But I think he's the right guy to kind of get them right back on, you know, back into the, the day by day process that they, uh, they need to embrace to get this thing fixed. 
Yeah, yeah. I'll be fascinated to see. It's going to be really interesting to see how things go here in the next few months. Low-key game of the week. Let's hit that real quick, and then we'll talk Big 12 Championship, uh, K-State and TCU, and then we'll have Colin Klein on after that. But low-key game of the week, I think we had a unanimous on this one. Conference USA title game. North Texas Mm -hmm. and UTSA. I am excited about this one for multiple reasons. A, you have one of the oldest quarterback matchups I think we've ever seen in <laughs> FBS history yes. with 29-year-old 20, Austin Ani and 23-year-old Frank Harris combined 52 years old at quarterback. Uh, these two teams played a really, really intense down-to-the-wire game earlier this year when they played in the Alamo Dome. It took uh, They had three consecutive touchdown drives, uh, go-ahead drives. Uh, UTSA took the lead, then North Texas took the lead with a minute and a half, then UTSA, of course, uh, won it with 15 seconds left. And these two teams were a little spicy afterward. It was a little bit of uh, shouting and things like that at, in the hallway after the game was over. So uh, I think there's going to be a little intensity for this one. So this is also Friday night, uh, the same night as the Pac-12 championship. So as I joked, uh, Max, you and I will find some place to watch the Pac-12 championship game yes, on Friday will. night, and I will bring my iPad. Uh, so that I can have the Conference USA Championship game on at the same time <laughs> as, as we watch, but uh, but I'm excited for I'm excited for that one. Did you really say earlier on this podcast that Frank Harris could come back for another year? He can. He has one more year left. Uh, he has not decided, uh, but it, it is it is really going to be up to him. And and Jeff Traylor and I talked about this uh, a while back, but it ultimately is up to Frank in terms of how he feels from a from a body standpoint. Like uh, also, if if he does have you know professional aspirations does he want to go do that or it does he want to come back or does he even want to play because he has been through multiple surgeries you know he's had knee injuries shoulder injuries and so he's played a lot of football and he's been through a lot so it's, i think it's it's a thing where he's going to have to evaluate what mm-hmm. he wants to do certainly if he wants to be back utsl will be happy to have him back because he's the best player in program history i think yeah, but for sure. but it's a it's a matter of does does he want to go through all that one more year? But he's been, as I've mentioned many times in this podcast, one of the best players in college football, and he's been a joy to watch. So it'll be fun to watch him go for a conference championship one more time uh, this weekend. But if they don't, they will be hitting the portal. I think regardless of whether Frank comes back, they'll be hitting the portal to find another quarterback. They have Eddie Lee Marburger behind Frank. Uh-huh. But like I said, this Hudson Card or Kyron Drones, any of these guys from the state of Texas, from Texas Tech, or if somebody at Texas Tech or A&M hits the portal, even TCU, if Chandler Morris yeah. hit the portal, I would imagine UTSA is going to be in on those guys. So for sure, and you know, again, this would be an example where I know UTSA has not gotten any love from the College Football Playoff Committee, but this would be a game that matters more in a twelve-team playoff because maybe, maybe you have to maybe the first of all maybe the committee has to take some of these G five teams a little bit more seriously in terms of who is the best one that we need to rank at the end of this, and then secondly, you know, could a UTSA if things shake a certain way in the, in the American game, um, you know, could, could UTSA jump up and make a college football playoff someday. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it's, it just, it's gonna be hard to do. Um, it's going to take great season like they had last year and this year, but uh, man, I, I like you, you can't say like, I think for a program like that, um, you know, obviously your high, your highest goal is to win the conference, but maybe, maybe in a certain year, things break the right way. A UTSA can, can be the 12 seed in the playoff. Yeah, if they if they had beaten Houston in that opener and they're sitting here at eleven and one, they they probably are in the top twenty five right now. And and that and again, yeah, that'll be an interesting conversation. They're moving to the American as is North Texas, 
but that is going to be a fascinating thing to watch. Like you said, Ooh. how does the Sun Belt champion to the American champion? What do we got? Not, we got not a portal entry, but something oh. something worse. Uh-oh. Oh, there's another portal entry guy from Colorado. Uh, Ian Rapport reporting Blake Corbin's out for the season. Wow. That is a bummer. That's not good. Not good. That for is a, a significant bummer. Why is Ian Rapport reporting college football news? I don't know. <laughs> I, I truly don't know. We'll have to we'll have to verify that. Hold hold on to that, folks. Let's verify that with uh, what we got. When when you get NFL people, not to say that he can't, but let's let's just let's check with our folks on that first. Let's get to our actual game of the week, at least for you and me, because we'll be there live and in color at AT and T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. The Big Twelve Championship, Kansas State and TCU, the top ten matchup. Uh, K State, of course, moved number ten in the playoff rankings. And TCU, of course, right now number three, uh, we think locked into a playoff spot, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes on Saturday and what happens after it. Uh, but this is a rematch, of course. I think that we think if Oklahoma, if it was Oklahoma instead of TCU, they'd be they'd be locked in. Yes, if it was probably. Texas or Oklahoma, yes, they would be locked in. I think sure. probably that's that's yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, it, it it is. I will say for TCU fans, it is probably a little bit of paranoia because. In 2014, they were number three in the last penultimate rankings. Then they fell to number six after beating uh, Iowa State. And Ohio State ended up jumping into number four because of its conference championship game performance. And, of course, as we know, the Big 12 reacted by adding the conference championship game a few years later. And I know TCU fans are a little nervous about what happens if we play in the not, in the conference championship game and lose and Ohio State, who doesn't, is not playing in a conference championship game, ends up still passing us. Like, there's a lot of paranoia in Fort Worth uh, for fans who were around in 2014 for that. You know, it's funny. I was I was just looking at um, one of those, like, projected playoff brackets for if we had the 12 team this year. It is kind of crazy to think about, like, this game, like you say, K, like, if, if K-State, so right now K-State would be in and, like, playing Tennessee in the first round or whatever, right? K-State were to win this game in a 12-team playoff, then, like, does Clemson become a top four seed? Either Clemson or K State becomes a top four seed essentially in that playoff. And then like Yeah. It's gonna yeah. be some weird stuff that happens yeah. if we when we get to that day, you know. But but for now, um it's no uh it, TCU's gotta figure out a way to uh to to survive this one um by any margin, I think. And uh I don't know, man. Like I, I know it's hard to beat a team twice, obviously. As cliche as that is, I think that's gonna be true this week. K-State has scored 43 points a game since they've gone to Skylar Howard. I mean, they've they've had some they've they've really shown the ability to put it on as as they did in the first half in in Fort Worth. Like right now, Sam, if you're a TCU fan, I think you've got to be pretty nervous. Like, how nervous are you about this game and the outcome on Sunday morning? Oh, 100 percent Because we go back to what we just we joked about it, but it's true. They're not a quote unquote helmet program. They're not one of those power programs that you know, gets a lot of national attention. And so if you're not one of those programs, you you just generally don't give the benefit of the doubt. And I'm not, that's not an opinion. That's just how it's played out with the playoff committee. So you want to control everything that you can. And the one thing you control is if you win, you're in. So yeah, that, that, that you don't want to be in that situation. And that's the other thing is we talk about this, uh, K-State is good enough to beat them because K-State had them down 18 points in the second quarter of that game. Uh, of course, TCU came back, but, you know, K-State had some quarterback injuries there that that impacted that. You know, they were playing you know, true freshman at the end. 
that's not necessarily going to happen again. So I'm curious to see how things play out. And, and really early on, I think it's really to me, just like it has been with so many TCU games, obviously they finish, finish really, really well, but mm-hmm. how do they start? Do they start slow? Do they, do they, do they miss some plays? Do they, you know, is, is there anything that are off schedule early? Uh, health, I think, comes into this too. Uh, I do think I do think it's a little bit of an advantage for TCU A that they're kind of at home. You know, it's only twenty minutes away from campus at over mm-hmm. at AT&T Stadium, but also they haven't traveled the last two weeks. Their last two games have been at home, and I know Sunday Dykes mentioned after the Baylor game that they survived that they had, after doing back to back road games, you, you get back late off the you know team flight or the team bus. You get back in the facility like three in the morning, four in the morning on a, on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, and it kind of impacts you down, down the rest of that week, you know, as, as time goes on. So they haven't had to travel the last couple of weeks. And I think that's a plus for them uh, when it comes to this game. Yeah. It's, it's like it, TCU just needs to like dig deep and f- find a way because they finally get some time off after this game. If they just go win this game, they finally get a chance to rest and recover and get the bye week that they've, you know, been praying for all season. Um, if they can just, Find a way to get through this. I think we we think Quentin Johnson's going to be good to go for this, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think Sunday Dyke said he's healthier than he's been in a while. So, okay, I, I think for them. It, which is good. I think it's good that it seems like both teams are coming into this in in decent shape, um, and not not just kind of limping to the finish line here. Um, I, I think it's it's just going to be really interesting to see. I think I think you're right that like the maybe the second half flow of this game is going to be really curious. Obviously, TCU. Um, got back into a corner last time they played K-State and um, had to respond. And, and I think the thing that you love about this TCU team, whether it's that game or Oklahoma State or a few others you could pick, Texas when things weren't really going the way they thought they would in the first half, like it's a team that just keeps swinging. They, they don't, they don't, mm-hmm. they don't stress. I think they, they take the, um, I think the vibe of Sonny Dykes and Max Duggan, I think everybody kind of goes with it, you know, and that is just, we're going to be okay. Just keep going, just keep swinging. Like, you really haven't seen TCU get into um, kind of a meltdown situation at all this year. And that's why they're 12 and 0, you know, it just, it hadn't happened yet. Um, And so, you know, I I think that even if, even if K-State jumps on them, even if Duggan, you know, throws some picks and makes some mistakes and stuff, like you're just going to kind of feel like if you're playing the TCU team, like this game ain't over. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. Um, And the fact that they fell into that hole against this particular team, with this particular quarterback, I think it is going to give them some confidence coming in. But Will Howard's played played his ass off. 13 touchdowns, two interceptions since he made his debut that uh, against TCU on October 22nd. Uh, I thought he, he's really – and we'll get into this with Colin Klein in a minute. I thought he's really throwing the ball well, uh, obviously, and ha- has been an asset with his legs too. You know, he, he can get some first downs for you uh, and and move the chains if, if he has to. He's obviously not – as dynamic an athlete as Adrian Martinez is, but but he can get you some that TCU game. He did get some first downs on some, mm-hmm. you know, RPOs or, or read option plays that he pulled. Yeah, um, you know, he's, so, he's, a, he's a big athlete now. He can get you yeah. some power runs for sure. Yeah, and and, and they've got a, they've got a plethora of, of options in the past game. And Deuce Vaughn is Deuce Vaughn. I mean, gosh, he's he's hard for just about anybody to corral, and, and everybody in the country's had had a hard time with him. So I'm fascinated by the matchup, and I'm also super fascinated by the chess match, just because. The, the game played out the way it did. And there's been, mm-hmm. you know, six weeks since they played. So there's been a lot of games played and you've seen a lot. There's a lot on tape since they last played. So there's a lot of chance for some, these coaches to do some different stuff. There's chance for Garrett Riley and Colin Klein to do some things. 
there's chances for for strategy changes on both sides, you know, or, or to throw some different wrinkles into things. So uh, you I'm, know, I'm like, fascinated by how that plays out. I, I kind of lean towards the experience of Max Duggan, but it'd be kind of interesting, right? Like if Will Howard has is just not finishing drives early in this game or is making some mistakes. If Adrian Martinez comes into this game, I think if you're Sonny Dykes, you're kind of a little bit like, uh-oh. Like, you feel like Adrian Martinez is is, is a handful in a different way. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. kind of it, that part of it. Um, and and do you use both guys? Do you trust Will Howard and give him a long leash in a game like this with with these kind of stakes? Obviously, that that management by Colin Klein is, is going to be really interesting because they certainly trust both guys to go get it done. And, um, you know, I, I think that would be – you know that that that's going to be the part of the chess match of this. That that's so fun is just kind of who who has the right stuff early and kind of who who adjusts and and comes up with a, a way to maybe take control of the game and and play at the flow they want to play because K State plays you know they're faster than last year but they're still kind of you know not not towards the top of the country in terms of tempo and, and plays per game and stuff like that like yeah they kind of still want to play a, a slow down game and if TCU can hit some explosives then um there I think they kind of uh, have a chance to kind of taking control of playing the kind of game they want to play. Yeah, that's something Baylor did to TCU a little bit was kind of grind out the clock a lot of a lot of long drives, kind of keeping the ball away from them and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see. But let's uh, let's bring in Colin Klein, the Kansas State offense coordinator. Let's talk to him a little bit about it and get his perspective on the Wildcats and uh, what what things look like going into the Big Twelve Championship. Well, with the Big 12 championship game coming up this weekend, we've got a great matchup, a top 10 matchup with TCU and Kansas State. And we're bringing on a special guest to the podcast, Kansas State Offensive Coordinator, Colin Klein. Colin, how are you today, sir? Man, thanks for joining us. Doing great. Great day in Manhattan, as always. And and guys are doing a great job preparing and working hard. So all's well. Colin, play, playing for a Big 12 title again, um, you know, it, it's been a little while. What What's it mean to this program to kind of have this opportunity again? Uh, you know, it's it's a tremendous honor, uh, you know, a credit to uh, uh, all of our guys and, and our entire program and staff and support staff and, and right on down the line of, you know, all the sacrifices and, and things everyone has to put in to, you know, that, that makes these special things happen, you know, and um, but, you know, what really has been the <clears throat> difference maker for us, you know, in, in a year that uh, the Big 12 has as much parity that in a, in a single year and a couple really, uh, really good teams, you know, that in a long time that I can remember, you know, it's just been the day-to-day mentality, you know, mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> I mean, it's, I think Coach Kleiman said it a few weeks ago, I and mean, we were in a one-week season, I think, starting in week three, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and just their ability to to look just, hey, on the next step, not worried about it, and and then even transition that into this week, you know, you get a 13th step and and it's, it is what it is. How, how did that final home game feel to take care of business on senior day against Kansas? Just how, how was the energy in that stadium? Well, Sunflower Showdowns, it's, it's a huge deal, you know, and there's a lot of pride, you know, that uh, goes back a long time and uh, having been a player in it myself and then now watching these guys go through it and feel that and embrace that and, uh, we have such tremendous fans and, and just the energy behind the game was outstanding. Uh, obviously having what was on the line on the line is, is, uh, uh, made it even a little bit more. And, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, all that doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's ultimately how you execute, how you play, how you prepare and, uh, you know, who's the tougher, more disciplined team that's going to handle adversity and make some big plays. And our guys did that. You mentioned the day-to-day mentality, but when you and I talked in the summer, you felt like this this team had some pretty exciting potential. 
going into 2022. What do you think has made this group special? Well, I, I think it's just their ability to continue to get better, you know, and, and as we did talk in the summer, we knew we had good pieces, you know, and, and we had some good players and, and great leadership, you know, in some areas, but, you know, it still takes um, a lot of work and time and, and things to click for things to come together, you know, for, for all of us, us as a staff, staff, the players, and then, you know, in, uh, you know, between the players as well. So, you know, I think just their ability to do that and, you know, how Adrian got us off to a great start and kind of bonded us there early. Um, Will being able to step up and, and not skip a beat um, and how those two guys have selflessly served this team uh, and competed their butts off for this team, I think is uh, uh, it's spear. It's been the tip of the spear of the, you know, the mentality, you know, and, and so really proud of those guys, but proud of the whole group. Colin, curious what you thought has been the difference for this team this season and, and maybe even turning point for this team. You know, we had Deuce Vaughn on earlier this year and he talked about culture, about how how different it seemed and how much better it was. But the, the way you guys have responded to setbacks, you know, every time you guys have had a setback, you guys have come right back and followed it up, you know, with with a win. What What is it about this team that has enabled that, in your opinion? Oh, I, I think it's 100 percent character and culture. You know, I, I think uh starts with coach Kleiman and and just the uh truly family atmosphere and environment that he sets the tone for and 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 just the mindset that you know what it's it's not about any one person you know it's not about anyone's ego it's not about anyone being right or wrong it's about finding a way to get the job done and be the very very best that we can possibly be uh as a staff as coaches as players um you know, and, and willing to push ourselves and in, in to a level and and to a point that that most people are are uncomfortable or don't want to go. You know, and I think a combination of that, our players embody that. Um, you know, I've been really proud of how they've really just played free. You know, and and turned it loose and and gave it everything they had for the guy next to them, and and uh, you know, not wanting to let that guy down. I know this is hard to quantify, but when it comes to that culture building process that you guys have been working on since day one, like how different does it feel this year compared to to 19 or 20 when you guys were still kind of trying to figure that out? You know, it's, it is a game of inches. It is, it is absolutely a game of inches, you know, and, and you never know when it's going to, when it's going to break or when it's going to happen, you know, and, and, and credit to our team this year, they've made it happen. You know, and, and in those critical mo- critical moments, critical games, you know, they've been able to find those inches, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, we've had good leadership, you know, on 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 our teams these last couple of years as well um, and, and come up short at times, you know. And so it's uh, it makes it special when it comes, you know, when when things do come together like that. Um, and ultimately, you know, a credit to them for just, again, finding that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> you know, Colin, I was going back and watching some of the TCU game from earlier this year and just struck with, you know, how well Will Howard was throwing the ball that day, certainly early on. Uh, how how far has he come and, and how, how much did, did things change for you guys, when, you know, when he was able to come in and kind of play the way he has? Uh, Will's been outstanding and, and just his poise, his confidence, his um, some of the throws he's been able to make and his accuracy of, of being able to put the ball where he, where he wants it. 
um, has been outstanding. You know, I think, uh, um, you know, I was not surprised. I mean, all of us, Coach Kleiman and myself, I mean, all of us knew he was capable, you know, of, of this level of play. But, uh, you know, potential only only goes so far. You know, you got to have, have the opportunity to go out and do it. And then when you get your opportunity, you got to go out and do it. And, and credit to him, he's he's done that. He's prepared and, and uh, one of the smartest players I've ever coached. Again, a, a competitive sucker that uh, is 100 percent a team guy, you know, and, and, and his teammates have responded him to that. And, uh, you know, they, they play their butts off for him out there. You know, he, he's obviously played a lot of football before this year. Uh, you know, obviously when Skyler Skyler was out in the past, you know, he had to get pressed in some tough situations. Uh, what does it say about his patience and, and his work to just get better and stay ready that that he's been able to live up to this moment now this year? Well, he, he, he is truly a man of character and, and he is mentally tough. He's gritty. Um, obviously, and for the right reasons, his uh, – comes from an unbelievable family that, uh, you know, instilled a lot of those values uh, into him and, um, you know, was uh, in, a, in a world of instant gratification, like you said, was was able to see the forest through the trees a little bit, understand like, hey, I just got to keep my head down, keep working. Um, doesn't matter what anyone else says, what anybody else thinks. And, you know, everybody's so quick in, in today's world to snap a judgment on someone on one little moment in time, you know, when all of us are works in progress, changing, getting mm -hmm. better or getting worse all the time. And again, as you said, I mean, a, his first year with a 2020 COVID situation, didn't go through spring ball, didn't have a normal summer, had an abbreviated different camp, and then happened to play six to eight games like he did, you know, and then last year with, you know, uh joked around with him you know and, and Skyler and I would always chuckle I mean you know he had to go in and, and play the best defense in the conference in Oakley State when Skyler you know ended up getting <laughs> you know and it's just uh, things like that that you know you don't understand like that's a that was a top 10 defense he goes in and, and plays against against Oakley State and so mm -hmm. uh, all those things you know just a credit to him of how uh he stayed the course he's focused on what he could control when he you know and, and how he went through it and and, uh, you know, there's not anyone that deserves it more than him. Well, I, I remember when we I visited you guys in the spring, talked about Adrian, the, the point you made was we didn't take him because we've missed on all of our quarterback recruiting here. You no, know, no. It's, not, it's not that these guys can't play. Oh, no. And and that was, you know, that that was the message from the beginning when I when I sat down with those guys, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's been something that obviously most teams in the Big 12 have experienced. You know, it's yeah. not just – Hey, we believe in this guy. We don't believe in this guy. That has nothing to do with it. It is, hey, are we deep enough to have three guys that we feel like are ready to to go through that the fiery trials of a season, you know? And sure. And Will Howard's a sophomore right now. And he was the oldest, most experienced guy in the room. And that was the answer to the question of like, hey, we need, we need some experience. We need some depth. You know, we need some. Uh, you know, again, some leadership and maturity for the room. Not that anyone wasn't that, just it needed it. And, and uh, you know, Adrian has been such a great fit, you know, here. You know, I mean, uh, my only regret is we didn't have more time to work, you know, work, work together because he's just such an outstanding young man, obviously a talent, but uh, he and Will are best friends, you know, and, and watching those two and how they have bonded and, and gone through what both of them have gone through 
you know, this year is, is, is just, it's unreal. You know, and we're standing there literally 10 minutes before kickoff against Oklahoma state, you know, and it was a game time decision about Adrian, how he felt in warmups, you know, and, and we're sitting there in the tunnel and both those two kids, coach Klein and myself, and those two guys are standing there, you know, and, and, and Will Howard's looking at Adrian going, Hey, you got to make the best decision and, and work for where you're at. Don't worry about me. If you want to give it a try, I'll come in. If you want to, it's like, that doesn't happen, you know? And, and for those two to be. Usually it's just like, bro, pass the sticks. I got this. Get out of my way. <laughs> both guys are being selfish, right? Like there's a selfish sure. standpoint of like, hey, well, I want to play. It doesn't matter if I'm 70% or whatever the percent, right? Or, sure. yeah. or the other way, hey, like, dude, like. Right. Adrian might try it, to play it, just to be like, I can't give this job up to this kid. You know, it's my time now. Right. Or no, it's both. It only has worked and and been what it's been because of both of those guys character and, and, and how they went through it. And, you know, and then there, when there was a little doubt, you know, and Adrian that day, you could tell he wasn't wasn't just right, you know, and made the decision to go with Will. And he stepped up and, and played one of the better games of quarterbacks played here against the top 10 team that, uh, you know, I've, I've maybe ever seen, you know, so. For sure. Uh, but again, both both those guys are are uh, just outstanding. Now, Colin, I, I want to go back a bit. Um, I, can you tell us kind of how you got into coaching? I know you 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 uh, coming out of college, Heisman finalist, amazing career at K State. You, you tried the NFL. I know you had a little stint mm-hmm. up in Canada. You joined the staff in 2014. Is it true that Coach Snyder told you to to not get into coaching? <laughs> uh, you know, I think it that was the case when I maybe just got done playing. But he was the first one to call me and offer me a, a position. So, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. went back on his word there. Yeah. So, he, so, so he he changed his mind. Um, but uh, no, it was you know I got I got released up in Canada the, the year after, so it was 2014. So a year and a half or so after I got done playing. And well, what did you do in 2013 after after NFL camp? Yeah, I was just training. So I was in okay. uh, camp, the rookie camp with the Texans that summer. And then just train that fall was close to a couple practice squads with the Dolphins and the Bears. And then the next spring is when I went to Montreal. And then mm-hmm. so it was with Montreal up until, gosh, I want to say middle of June. And then when I got cut up there, it was pretty late in the cycle. Everyone, you know, everyone's getting ready for the season. And I sat down and just really took a week and prayed a lot with my wife. Like, all right, you know, I knew my tank was empty. Like I had given it, I pushed on every door worked my butt off every single day, you know, of in that training cycle and whatever. And and so I knew it was, it was time to, to find a new or whatever my next journey or opportunity was going to be. And so, you know, thought about a couple of different business ideas and then uh, ended up just coming back to football. And then I had a passion for it. I love doing it. Uh, love the competition and, and the team dynamic of, of having to figure out how to find a way to solve problems and, and impact young men. And, and the most Im- impactful people in my life, uh, other than my parents, have been been my coaches, and I've been fortunate to have some great ones. Yeah, Colin, you guys uh, last year in conference play, twenty five points a game. This year, gone up a whole ten points, thirty five points a game in, in Big Twelve play. What, how much fun are you having a, a, in this role as an OC and, and a play caller? And mm-hmm. what what do you attribute that improvement to? Well, it's, it starts with our players, you know, I mean, just uh, their whole mentality, you know, from even last, you know, December, January has been, uh, they've been open-minded, they've been competitive. Um, I've, 
I and our staff have, uh, again, just so much credit to our offensive staff too of, of having being open-minded and, and Hey, let's attack this thing and build this thing, you know, uh, from the ground up, you know, and, and, um, you know, I think, uh, we've, we've pushed ourselves as a staff, um, you know, and, and pushed the envelope on some things. Um, and, and we've pushed our players, you know, and it started in, in January of, of last winter, you know, and, and all those guys to the man, our whole offense player wise has, uh, uh, attacked everything, you know, and they've never complained. They've never, um, you know, oh, this is too much. This doesn't make sense, you know, and, and they probably could have at some time because I'm learning to, you know, <laughs> so, um, but, uh, you know, they've just attacked it. They've bought in and, uh, you know, it's, it's just been fun learning and, and pushing the envelope together from a staff standpoint on our end, watching them do that on the field and, uh, and it's just so fun to watch them go out and, and, and make plays, you know, and a lot of times it works exactly how you thought and drew it up and, and whatever. And then other times there's, I mean, I got more than a handful of bad calls. It seemed like in November you couldn't call a bad play. It seemed like well, everything was working. I promise you there were some bad ones in there. It's just, you know, again, good players, you know, make, you know, make those disappear too, you know, so uh, but again, it's, it's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot. We've grown together and, and that's been their, that's been their mindset. You, you, as a quarterback, I'm sure you have a certain perspective on, on what it's like with the game day script and, and how the plays are called and, and strategy and all that. What's your perspective now on the other side of that is you're the one doing the script. You're the one making those calls. What's it, what's it like comparing to when you were the quarterback to where now you're on the other side of it? I mean, definitely a soldier versus a general type mentality. You know, I mean, so a lot of times when you're out there, like, yeah, I know why they're calling every play. I knew, you know, what we were trying to attack when they called it or knew what we were probably going to get to next when said thing happened or whatever. Uh, but you're in soldier mode, you know, like you, you put your you put your head down and, and, and you're like, OK, these are my rules and principles. These are my fundamentals. This is how I'm going to go out and execute, you know, uh, 10,000 feet perspective, you know, when you're up there in the box, uh, um, you know, you got a little bit more time to think, <laughs> you know, cause you can, you know, you can uh, remove from it a little bit, you know, and you're able to kind of process and, and much more again on the, on the bigger picture chess piece side. But um, <clears throat> you know, it's, uh, you definitely, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, you definitely have to, from a play caller standpoint, be a lot like, little bit more like a player though from hey you just made a couple of bad calls man you got to settle in and 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 uh, you know bounce back no different than okay hey next play right it's no different yeah. from from that perspective than you know uh, as a, as a quarterback missing a throw or whatever right have you had a day where you're like man i really suck today like when they're up there calling you know what i mean like is it or, or like at halftime you're just like man i'm not like i'm not feeling this today or something well you know, that's that quarterback short memory. I don't remember any of those. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, of course, you definitely have those. But again, it's and then it's about the objective. It's not about it's about finding a way no different than from a player's standpoint. Hey, it's it doesn't matter. OK, I made gosh, I made 60 good calls and 10 bad ones and we lost. Like, so what? Right. <laughs> like, right. Hey, let's just we, we just got to find a way, put our head down. How do we move it? Ten yards. On this, on these three downs, then we'll worry about the next ten after that. You know, and, and really trying to just uh, you know get everything else out of your head, and and how can we find ten? So, 
when you're in the box, do you do you if you see some developing, are you putting your hands up? You know, it's like, hey, this is a six right here. Is that are you getting fired up like oh, right in the middle of a play? You know, it's I'm coming. Not- Maybe when I've done it as long as Lane Kiffin, I'll start doing it. You know, I'll start doing that. I'm not. I'm not on his level. You're not yet, tossing you sheets. And, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just like I said, thinking about the next one if it doesn't work. So if okay, uh, we don't score on this one. What am I doing on third and eight? <laughs> uh, la- sure. Last couple for me. The guy's got the rematch. What is the dynamic like? A just looking at them. They you guys have obviously had some time. There's been some games between the last. You guys played TCU. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of what they look like now and, and the challenge that sits in front of you guys going to the Big 12 championship? Well, a little bit like us, you know, you can tell from a defensive standpoint, you know, they've really grown and, and gelled through the year too. <laughs> you know, I mean, they're, uh, you know, they're flying around to the football. I think they're getting quicker to fits, especially at the linebacker level. I think, uh, you know, they're really doing some nice things. And, uh, you know, they're no different than us trying, you know, they've massaged and kind of tweaked some things schematically that suited their personnel, you know, and, and kind of, you know, fallen into some veins on some things that six weeks ago, it was, it was vastly different. And so, uh, coach Gillespie, I have the highest amount of respect for, I mean, there, there's a reason why they're sitting where they're at and they found, you know, ways to win and, and get some big stops when they've had to in, in some games and, and uh, it's going to be a heck of a challenge for us. I mentioned 22 earlier. We've had Deuce on the pod a couple of times. He's one of our favorites. Do you have any favorite Deuce stories uh, from being around that guy? <clears throat> Shoot. I mean, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, he's just so consistent. He's always got a smile on his face, uh, always cheerful. Um, you know, I, I tell everyone he, he prepares, I mean, as good as anyone I've ever seen from a player standpoint. I mean, his, his notebook, his notes, his scouting report, the detailed things he does on, you know, those defensive guys that he's going to go against or, you know, it's, it's second to none. And, uh, you know, he's just so consistent, you know, and I think what I could say this year, you know, different maybe than what I, what we talked about this summer is just, again, you know, during a season, everyone's metal gets tested, you know, and, and whether it's injuries, whether it's your role on the team shifts slightly, you know, um, whatever it is, you know, how, how do people respond? Cause we're all growing and changing. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you get Adrian going and the type of player he is, we've asked Deuce to block more this year, you know, than, than he has the last two years. Right. And, you know, <laughs> how many consensus all American tailbacks are going to lead on a pin and a quarterback pin and pin and pin and pull scheme and, and smoke sure. a safety, you know, and, and he'll do it, you know, five to eight, at least early in the year when we were doing more of it, you know, five to eight times a game. That's no different than a carry from a wear and tear standpoint. So we've put more on his plate in a different way that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. And and that kid, I mean, he is so bought in, it's, it ain't even funny, you know. And, and that's, again, a credit to, to his medal and, and how he was tested this year. All right, Colin, this is – I'm guessing people have never asked you this one. You think back, let's think back a decade here, okay? You're right. at the Heisman Trophy ceremony with Johnny Manziel and Manti Teo. Do you have any stories <laughs> from that experience? Oh, shoot. Uh, you or know, were you just I, staying in your lane with your family? Nothing nothing special there. I, I'm pretty laid back, you know, so I, there was nothing, you know, too crazy. I was My time there was a little bit short because we were coming from uh, – uh the johnny unitas award down there so i was only there for i think we got there saturday morning 
Um, you know, so I missed a little bit of a night with those guys, but, um, you know, and a crazy, crazy deal. <laughs> <laughs> you had two guys who got Netflix documentaries. That mean we're going to get a Netflix documentary on Colin Klein. <laughs> I don't know if you get the clicks maybe on my, <laughs> but that's all right. That's funny. All right. Last thing here. I, I I don't know if these things are true or not. I'm looking at your Wikipedia here. It says, you know how to play the piano, the mandolin and the violin. Is that, is that true? That is a true statement. Are there wow. other instruments? Just those three. Yeah. Just those three. Are, are there any other secret skills that people should be putting on your Wikipedia page here or anything like that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, shoot, I like to be outside and hunt and four wheel drive and all that other kind of stuff, but not, not nothing too crazy. Do you, what do you, do you like the, the violin best of the three? What do you, what do you like if you had to pick one of those three? Oh man, I'd probably say the piano would okay. be my favorite, but I played it the longest, but you know, we got we have three young kids, and then in this whole coaching gig, I don't, I don't, I don't take the time as much as I should to make sure everything's all greased up. It'd be pretty rusty right now. <laughs> there, there's not like a keyboard behind you here in your no. in your office here, just for no. just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> that still feels like a lifelong skill, you know. To, yeah, to, yeah, to I'll be able to too. pick it up when I have more time. Never. <laughs> for sure well thank you so much for making a little bit of time for us on, on a busy thursday here uh, colin klein appreciate having you on appreciate you guys great interview with colin klein appreciate him making some time on this busy week championship weekend and thank you guys all for listening uh make sure you follow the andy staple show and friends feed on apple podcast you can also subscribe to the andy staple show on youtube of course you see andy and ari washman regularly do their show live from there and we've posted a lot of our special guest interviews from throughout this year on there. So, so check that out. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.